Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Hey, good morning, everyone. Come on, guys. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Portico, where it's nice and warm inside. What's up with the weather? Left the house just after 7 this morning, and it was like 5 degrees Celsius. Last week, it was in the 30s. Well, we're glad that we're inside worshiping God, and we're glad that you're at home watching and hopefully you're warm too. Uh, we're glad that you're here, and today we're continuing our series called The Great Adventure, and I hope that you've been having a good weekend so far, and I'm praying that today's message is going to be not just inspirational, but helpful to you as you go about your, your, your daily life. Um, yesterday, Karen and I had the opportunity uh, to be at a celebration service at the life of a man who really changed the spiritual climate of our country. Uh, Some may or may not have heard of David Maines, who was the founder of 100 Huntley Street over 40 years ago. And David passed away last Tuesday at the age of 81 after a five-year battle with a rare form of leukemia. And so people from all across the country gathered yesterday to celebrate his life and all that he, he had done. And some of you guys know that I've had a connection with Huntley Street, right? Well, it actually goes back a lot further than you think. It started back about 32 years ago. My mom was a, was a nominal believer. She kind of heard about Jesus and about God, but didn't really understand what a relationship with him was. And David Maines was on television, and he was talking about, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus, accept him today. And my mom said, that sounds really cool, but I, I don't know what that means. And so she called into the prayer lines And in her broken English, she didn't know how she was going to communicate with the person on the other end, but it just so happened that the volunteer who answered the phone that day was from Portugal. I had to sneak it in there. And she was from the same island my mom was, so she was able to talk with her, and she led her to the Lord right there on the phone. And that was 32 years ago. And because of that, dozens and dozens of my family members came to faith. And so for about five or six years, I was involved with Huntley. And the last year when I was hosting, I remember I would be giving out that same toll-free number that my mom called 32 years ago, saying, if you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, call right now and somebody will pray for you. It's amazing, isn't it, how God gives you these these full-circle moments. And so it was an honor to be there yesterday and just celebrate the life of, of David Maines. And I took away a lot from, from the funeral service, and you think, you actually learned something at a funeral? Yeah, it was this. That no matter what God gives you to do, you do it to the best of your ability. You put your hand to the plow, you don't look back, and you just do what God has told you to do and believe that he's going to bless you. Amen? And that's what I took away from yesterday. So I just want to honor David Maines today. You know, and at the center of everything he did was, was this here, these books. I know you're looking at them saying, 
What now, Joe Emerald? You're always bringing something on the stage, so why all these Bibles? Well, it's going to be a very long service. We're going to read through every verse. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I know what you're thinking. I, I actually do. Some of you are looking at me right now, and you're saying, Joe, you're just such a great guy. I'm just going to say it. You're thinking it. I'm just going to say it. And Joe, you just seem like the kind of guy that you're just, you're so easy to live with. I just have this feeling that Karen is just so blessed to have you in her home every single day of her life. I, I know, I know you're thinking it. Um, I'm going to have to burst your bubble. Yeah. There, not the real Joel, I'll tell you a little bit. There's a few things about me that my dear wife has to put up with on a daily basis. I didn't mean for it to be this way, but I've, I've become a collector. I like to collect things. When I like one thing, I want to have everything of that thing. That's just the way I am. And a few weeks ago, I had all my Star Trek stuff out here. Do you remember? Yeah. And my, my dear wife, every once in a while, she goes into the basement where I have my office, and I have my entire room dedicated to all my Star Trek collection. And she walks in, and she, she hangs her head in shame, and then she goes and she prays for me. She's such a, a wonderful wife. And, and then it became a collection of, of space stuff, and I had my telescopes up here, right? Well, without meaning to... I started to collect Bibles, apparently, and Karen would laugh at me. I'd come home from a meeting and say, oh, I got this really cool new Bible. She's like, seriously, another one? I said, yeah, but this one's different. She goes, how? I said, oh, this one has these cool notes, and, you know, so-and-so wrote it, and they, they wrote these cool things on the side. Well, over the years, I've, this isn't my full collection. This is only part of, of my favorite Bibles. It's hard to pick which one, you know, I like the most. Let me see. Um, there, there's one here called uh, the Complete Orthodox Jewish Bible. It's written in the most complicated and um, not, what's the word when you say it's not understandable? What's the word? Complex language you ever could read, but it's thick, so I had to have it. <laughs> And then I have this one here, the Apologetics Bible. Guys like Ravi Zacharias and different ones. Whenever you read like a complex issue in the Bible, they have like a short essay on the side that helps you to understand it. It's really cool. Uh, somewhere here I have what's called the Archaeology Bible. So when you're reading about a story in the Bible, they'll have archaeological finds and discoveries you know, in the columns telling you about that place. It's kind of a, kind of a cool thing. And so over the years I've, I've made this collection then I have my little one that I carry with me. So if the Bible is the sword of the spirit, this is like my little dagger. You know, I carry it with me everywhere I go. And my favorite Bible is this one. I don't know if you guys can see it on the screen. Can you zoom in on that? Can you guys see that there? This is called the Striper Bible. Nobody knows what that is. You guys remember the, the Christian rock band that I was a pastor for? Striper, okay, back in the 80s, I can't even tell you what the rock bands used to throw into the crowds. And the fans would go nuts at all this ungodly, horrible stuff that was being thrown, and they wanted it because it came from the band. And so Striper said, hey, why don't we throw Bibles into the crowd? And so the kids didn't care about the Bible. They just wanted the sticker that said Striper. But this is what's cool. 
Night after night, when I was with them in these seedy bars all across America, I would have kids come to me and say, you know, I caught a, a Bible back in 87, and I put it in the glove box of my car, and I never read it. I'm like, well, thank you for sharing that heartwarming story. <laughs> um, but then I went to sell my car years later, and I found it in my glove box, and I read it, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I said, wow, see, that's the power of the Bible, because it's not just a book, but the Bible is actually alive. And if it's alive, that means that it can speak to me. And so today, we're going to talk about the Bible. And the title is, What is the Bible? We all read it. We all have it. Um, In my pocket right now, I have dozens of versions of the Bible on my iPhone. You, You do too. I have, I don't know, about 12 or so Bibles here right now. Everybody has the Bible, but what actually is in the Bible? How do we read it, and how do we get the most we can out of the Bible? That's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. You see, because we all have versions that we can carry with us, we forget that at one point in time, not everybody had access to the Bible. In fact, only the big cities in the big synagogues, they had one copy of the Bible. And the scroll was so large and weighed hundreds of pounds, it actually took two oxen and a cart to move it from synagogue to synagogue. Very large Bible. And so over the years, it's come in all kinds of different formats. The Bible has come on scrolls and on tablets. I don't mean an iPad tablet. (laughs) I mean like an actual piece of stone, a tablet. So I think Moses had the first iPad. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, So this Bible has come to us in various forms throughout the years. And so like I said, 3,500 years ago, it took two oxen and a cart to move it. And so I wondered, what's the biggest Bible that we could find today? I have some pretty good-sized Bibles here, seven, eight, nine hundred pages. And so I did a little bit of research, and I found this Bible called the Macklin Bible, And it was written in the year 1800, and they wanted to make it the biggest Bible they could because they believed bigger was better. And so this Bible was so big that it was, each edition was two feet tall, hundreds of pages thick, and it took seven volumes to write the entire Word of God, and it ended up weighing over 130 pounds. Now, you've heard the term Bible thumper? That'll give you a pretty good thump. Okay. So the Bible has come to us in all these different forms. And I said, but what is the Bible? What does it actually mean when I, when I look at its definition? So I, I hopped on to good old Webster's Dictionary, and it says the following. The Bible is the sacred scriptures of Christians comprising the Old and the New Testament. That's it. Now, the original word for Bible is biblios. And biblios simply means papers gathered and bound together to form a book. And so maybe you've heard terms like, oh, this is, this is the, the computer Bible, or this is the fisherman's Bible, or this is the whatever Bible. You ever heard that term before? The word Bible has come to mean that that particular book is the most authoritative book on that topic. And so that's why you have maybe this book that became so popular, it became the fisherman's Bible, because everybody goes to that book. Well, we call this the Holy Bible because we believe it's above every other book that was ever written. Do you you agree? 
Okay, so that's what the Bible is. It's simply just uh, pages bound together in one, in one book. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the Bible. How many people think they know the Bible? Let me see. Nobody here knows the Bible. Okay. <laughs> let me give you some... Pastor Doug, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, let me give you some facts about the Bible. According to the Guinness World Records, now listen to this, the Bible, we've heard, right, that it's the best-selling book of all time? Listen to the numbers. The Bible is not only the best-selling book of all time, but it has sold over 5 billion copies. Do you understand what a billion is? I googled it. A billion is a thousand million. So the Bible has been sold 5,000 million times. Now say, that's a lot of books. Now to give you just a little bit of context of how big this volume is, let me give you two of the best-selling books of all time outside of the Bible. Now you don't have to agree with the books. I'm not talking about what's in them. Just the sheer volume of the sales. Everybody's okay? So if you have any negative emails, my email is Pastor Doug. At Portico? No, okay. All right. You ever heard of the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Huge set of books. Movies were made the whole bit. They sold worldwide to date 150 million copies. That sounds like a lot, but it pales in comparison to 5,000 million copies. The next best-selling book after that is the Harry Potter series. The very first book in the series has sold over 120 million copies. But both those books combined don't even make half a thousand million copies. And so the Bible is absolutely the undisputed champion when it comes to best-selling books. It was written over a 1600 period uh, by about 40 different authors. And it started in approximately 1500 B.C. with Moses, as he started with the Torah. And it ended in the book of Revelation with John in about A.D. 100. Um, we know the Bible today as it is. If I said to you, John 3.16, how many would know what that is? <laughs> right away, oh, I know that. Okay, but before 15, uh, was it, before 1238... There was only books of the Bible. So you'd say, let's turn to the book of John. And you wouldn't have a chapter or a verse. You had to scour through it to find what you wanted. And then in 1238, somebody came up with the idea to put in chapters in the Bible. So in 1237, it was the book of John. But in 1238, it was John chapter 3. So now it's getting a little bit easier to find stuff, right? But it would be hundreds of years before verses was introduced into the scriptures and then finally, in 1551, verses were introduced, and then you can turn to John chapter 3, 16. So it's come to us in its current form over, over a period of time. Now, the Bible has been translated into over 1,200 languages. The Bible was written originally in three, in Greek, in Hebrew, and Aramaic. Now today, what's called the Jewish Bible, we call it the Old Testament. What's the last book? If I were to ask you, if you're at home online, you can Google it. If you're here in the room, what's the last book of the Old Testament? The book of? Malachi, right? Wrong. 
That was a total setup, and you fell for it. Okay. Actually, in the Hebrew, when you go back to the original Bible, the last book of the Bible is Chronicles. The book of Second Chronicles. They give you all the history ending up at Second Chronicles. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because Matthew, who's Jewish, what does he do? He starts with the chronology of the life of Jesus. So he kind of picks it up where the Old Testament dropped it off. And he continues into the New Testament. Now, when I was on the road, I got in trouble for what I'm about to say. And hopefully I won't get in trouble here today. But do you know that Jesus never read the New Testament. (laughs) He is the New Testament. (laughs) Yeah. I had a board member at a church I was at, I won't say where it was, come up to me and say, you take that back. There was no New Testament. It became the New Testament as time went on. And in fact, the Old Testament is the only book the only Bible that Jesus, his disciples, and his followers ever read. So let's talk about what is the Bible. Well, the first question we want to ask today is, what's actually in the Bible? And people will say, the Word of God. They'll say, good stuff. My dear wife will ask me all the time, hey, what are you preaching on Sunday? I said, oh, the Bible. We're talking about God and other stuff, Right? I say it to her every week. I think it's hilarious. She doesn't. So so what is the Bible? First of all, I want to say I'm so thankful my voice is back. Last week, I barely had it. Had a hack attack. So you might see me drinking water throughout the service. It's just trying to keep my voice, okay? So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This gives us a description of what the scripture is. And it says that for the word of God is alive and active. Let me read that again. For the word of God is what? Is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So if it's alive, that means it can still speak. Now, how many times have you read a passage of Scripture and you've been in that passage, right? And you've read it and you've read it and you've read it. And then one time, out of nowhere, that verse pops off the page. How many have had that happen? You know why? Because the book is alive. And it's alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. It speaks to us at the right time when we need it. So what's in the Bible? The Word of God and it's alive. Now, how do you read the Bible? Most books, what do you do? You turn to page one. Then you read page two, you read page three, until you get to the end, right? The Bible wasn't written to be read in that way. Although you can. You can start in Genesis 1 and go all the way to Revelation if you'd like. It's, it's a big read, but you can do it. But the Bible is one of those books that you can literally turn to any page. And there'll be something there that'll speak to you on the journey that you're on. How many times have you been looking for direction and you said, God, just speak to me in your word and you begin to flip through and you get a sense to stop somewhere and you read it and you're like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Again, that's because the word of God is alive. You see, very few books have that much power on every single page. There's only one other one that I know. It was written by a handsome Portuguese man. (laughs) Available in fine bookstores across the country. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) What is the overall story or narrative of the Bible? 
when you stop and think about it, the Bible says a lot, but what's the overall story? What's the overall narrative? Well, in sermon prep, we began to kind of break it down into groups. And the first thing we find is right in the beginning at the book of Genesis is this, that God desires to have a relationship with us. He didn't have to, he wanted to. God desires to have a relationship with us. He wants to have, he wants to exist in a state of two-way communication. He wants to speak to us and he wants us to speak to him. That's what a relationship is all about. It's not just one person talking into the relationship, but both giving back and forth. You know, we find in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. Let's make a people, let, let, let's make something that we can interact with and have relationship with, and we see this right in the very beginning. You know, I was, I was thinking about Adam, about Adam and Eve last night, as one does on a Saturday evening. As I'm preparing for the message on Saturday night, I go over it. I go over it. I ask Karen. I'm in bed. I got my iPad out, and I'm just, I read it over and over again. Oh, let me make this little change. Oh, add this verse. Move this here. Drives the tech guys nuts. Sorry. But that's how I operate. And I got thinking about Adam and Eve. And the scripture says that God walked with man in the cool of the day. That means just before the sun came up and it got really hot, God would literally walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And I thought, wow, could you imagine such a relationship? And I began to think about Adam and Eve's relationship. And I said, you know, they, they, they woke up one morning and Eve, you know, was about to go up and make breakfast. And Adam said, no, honey, you stay in bed. I got breakfast this morning. This is a paraphrase, by the way. And so Adam went over to a tree and he picked some berries and some nice figs, you know, and, and, and made her this beautiful breakfast. And, and the Bible says that God gave mankind dominion over all the animals. So I think Adam had dominion over the chickens, Do you, right? And he called over Chucky, because one calls a chicken Chucky, and says, hey, Chucky, can you come over with a hard-boiled egg and an over-easy for my, for my lady? Nobody got that. Okay, so, so he's having this wonderful morning and God comes down in the cool of the day and he's, he's speaking with Adam and Eve and God says, hey, how'd you sleep last night, you know? And, and God said, well, I know how you slept, I'm God. But for the sake of conversation, hey, how'd you sleep last night? Adam said, oh, I slept great. Well, of course they slept great. They had no mortgage. <laughs> there was no traffic. Kids hadn't come around yet. I mean, they had a wonderful, sleep-filled night, as they did every night. And, and so God has this amazing relationship with Adam and Eve, and that was a pattern for what God desires to have with us. Every single day, God wants to walk with us in the cool of the day. He wants to speak to us, and he wants us to speak to him. But we know what happened that man broke that relationship. We decided to disobey him. Even the simple commands of what not to touch, we had to touch, and we broke that relationship. But you know what? It doesn't end there. The good news is that from that moment on, God did everything he could to restore that relationship. 
God put a plan in motion, and that plan was to come down in human form, in the one that we call Jesus of Nazareth, to live a perfect life, because only something perfect could die for the imperfect. And God went out of his way to restore the relationship with us. And he sends Jesus, and as you read about the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, you see everywhere he went, he was wanting to restore the relationship between God and man. And everything he taught, everything he did was all about restoration. You know, a few weeks ago, all of us pastors were standing on the Mount of Olives. And we were looking down at the city of Jerusalem. And it was from there, from this precipice that Jesus stood. And in Matthew 23, 37, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, O you who kill the prophets and stone those who those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You know, and I used to read that passage and say, okay, that's, that's kind of beautiful, right, that he desires to bring us in. But what does that really mean, that a hen w- would gather it, its little ones under its wings? I, I came across a story as I was preparing that really helped me to understand what that really meant. Out west, there was this massive forest fire that burned through hundreds and thousands of acres of trees. And the fire department spent weeks battling the blaze. And after weeks of finally putting it out, what they have to do is they have to go back through where they just put it out, and they look for what are called hot spots. The the places in the ground that are still so hot that the slightest dry moment and they could flare up again. They have to go back and redouse it to make sure it won't happen. So this firefighter is there, and he's, he's going through doing his, his job, and he looks, and he sees this clump, this lump of something in the middle of a path, and he says, oh, that looks odd, and he walks over to it. He, not- he notices it, that, that it's a charred bird. It's this large bird, and, and it's, it's burnt to a crisp, and he thought that was odd, because he said, birds can fly. <laughs> so when there was a fire, why didn't the bird fly away? Was it hurt? Was it, was it forced against its will to stay there? What was going on? Why, why would it stay? Just for a moment, and he thought, whatever. And he went to kick the carcass right off of the road so that it wouldn't get run over when traffic um, re- resumed. And he was shocked because when he kicked the carcass, four little, four little chicks came chirping out from underneath the charred body of the mother, and he realized what had happened. It wasn't that it couldn't leave. It chose not to leave. You see, the mother chose to endure the fire and the flame because she knew the only way to save those little chicks was to give her life for them. I thought the Bible says that Jesus could have called down a thousand angels. In the garden, he said, Lord, if there's another way, but no, I have to gather them to me. And he knew that his body would be beaten beyond recognition. He knew what he had to endure, but he said, I have to do it. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And because he did, we now can enjoy the restored relationship with the Father. How many are glad for that? Amen. And so the Bible is filled with these verses that say that God wants us to come back to relationship with him. We see it in Corinthians 5.18 that God is desiring to have a relationship with us. And if you go to the second half of 2 Corinthians chapter 5.19, 
It says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only does God want me to be in relationship with him, but he wants me to tell you to be in relationship with him. And in fact, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, above everything else, be reconciled to God. If you hear nothing else in this message, be reconciled to God. Because what do we gain if we get everything in this world, but we don't have God, friends? We have nothing. So the first, what is in the Bible? It's the message of God's love and his desire for us to be in relationship with him. What's what's the second question? It's this. Okay, that's good. But how can I trust the Bible? Can I really trust this book that was written by 40 different people 3,500 years ago in a land that I'll probably never see and a people I don't understand? How can this book speak to me today and can I trust it? Well, I did a little comparison and I looked at all different kinds of holy books from different faith groups. And this holy book had two fragments. And this holy book had six fragments. And this one had had maybe a dozen fragments. And I took a look at how many fragments there are of of the Bible. And there's well over 20,000 fragments of the Bible. And the fragments they found that were thousands of years old when compared to the book today is the same. There's a reliability. There's something in the word of God that we can trust. And somebody says to me, well, Joe, if it's the word of God, why are there so many versions? Have you heard of different versions of the Bible? Right, NAV, King James, all these. Look look at all this here. And sometimes we get into what are called version wars. You've heard of Star Wars? Version wars where somebody says, oh, this is the only version of the Bible. How many have ever heard that before? How many have been in a version war? Let me see your hands. Okay, well, for those who have been, you know what it's like. Let me give you the three basic groups that we have. We have what's called the paraphrase version. So stuff like the message or the living Bible, something called God's word. We have the literal translation. Get ready for a lot of three-letter abbreviations. Ready? There's the NIV, the ASV, the CEV, the ESV, the HCB, the KGV, the NEB, the NCV, the NET. You catch my drift. There's a lot of versions of the Bible, and then we have the modern version of the Bible, or the simplified, ones like uh, NASB and the New Living Translation, the NLT. (laughs) Let me give you an example of how this plays out in our daily lives, because you're asking, Joe, Why do we need to know about all these versions of the Bible? Hang on a second. Let me read John 3.16. I think we all know that verse. King James says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody's good with that? That's what the Bible says. Well, now the New Living Translation. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We're okay? The message says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need to be destroyed, but by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. One verse written three different ways, but let me give you the five words that are common in all three translations, no matter how you read it. 
The words are this. Who, who did the loving? Who did the giving? God. What did he do? He loved. And because he loved, what did he do? He gave. He gave who or what? His son. Why? So that we could have life. So it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter to us here what version you read, read the Bible because the message is the same. Come on. Let me put this in, let me put it in modern day examples. If somebody offered you a million dollars, who would take it? Four people. (laughs) Online, come on. Let me ask again. If somebody offered you a million dollars, who would take it? Of course you would take it. Now, would you care how they said it? You would? Okay. What if somebody said, okay, what if somebody said, I will give to thee one million dollars? You say, I'll take it. What if somebody from the south came and said, hey, I'll give y'all a million bucks? You would take it. What if a Canadian came and said, how's it going, eh? I'll give you a million dollars, eh? Will you take it? You don't care how they say it, you'll take the money. I don't care how you hear that God loves you, he loves you. Take it. Come on. Because 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, all scripture is God breathed. The NIV, the NASB, the KJV, I don't care how you hear it, but hear it. There's a God in heaven who loves you, who wants to restore relationship with you so much so that he gave his only son to die for you so that you could have eternal life. That is the message. That's what's in the Bible. You know, it's been said that, that Israel preserved the Torah, which is the word of God, but the truth is, it's the Torah that preserved Israel. And the same can be said of us. It's this word of God, the written word of God, it's that which preserves us. But we have to get it in our hearts. And so here's the third question people ask. Is the Bible relevant for me? Does the Bible speak to me today? Again, this 3,500-year-old book written way off in a land that I don't know anything about. The Bible has solutions, my friends, for every problem, every circumstance, every scenario that we face. You have anxiety, Philippians says, don't be anxious about anything. You have stress, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest. Are you afraid of something that's going to happen in your life? For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. What you need is in this book, but you have to get into the book so it will get into you. Let me give you some beautiful examples of how this book is still relevant to us. All around the world, to this very day, 2.7 million people become Christians every year. That's because this book is relevant. That's because it's still speaking to our lives today. In 2015, this is staggering. In 2015 alone, 10.2 million Muslims came to faith in Jesus. Come on, in 2015. 
If this book was dead, if this book was outdated, nobody would still be coming to faith. That the fact that they are is telling us it's alive, it's relevant, and it speaks to us today. And here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible is kind of likened it to a learner's permit, or for modern-day examples, the G1 license. How many parents experience the fear of God when their teenagers pass their license? <laughs> and you have to hand over your keys to them and say, take my $20,000, dollars $50,000 car. You see, I'm glad you passed your task. That's great that you studied and that you know it, but studying how to drive and driving, two different things. I want you to study this book. God wants you to study this book, but studying it isn't enough. You have to learn how to use it. You can learn all day long. Love your neighbor. But what if we start loving our neighbor? It's not enough to have the license in our hand. God wants us to have the experience of what the book actually says. And the Bible is replete, is filled with encouraging verses. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. He says, if you trust in the Lord, you will find new strength. You will soar like on the wings of eagles and you will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not grow faint. I will never leave you nor abandon you. I have written you on the palm of my hands. The Bible is filled with the expression of God and his desire to have relationship with you. Thousands of verses like this are waiting to be discovered. Let me encourage you, start your great adventure today by reading the word of God every single day, amen? As we close, I wanna share a video with you about people right here from Portico who share some Bible verses that have impacted their lives over this past year. Let's watch. So the verse that I hold dear to my heart is Proverbs 3, five to six, and it basically talks about trusting in God and not on your own understandings. So for me, I'm approaching the stage where I have to make big life decisions. So I hold that dear to my heart just to trust God with everything and know that he's got my back. A verse that has impacted my life this year uh, is Romans 8.3, which tells me that uh, Christ has taken all of my sin upon the cross. My verse comes from Hebrews 12.11, and basically it talks about discipline and how it's not really a bad thing. Often we put a bad stigma around discipline and we think that it's very painful and it's hard to go through and it's not easy. And this verse reminds me that it is not easy. However, once you get through it, once you persevere through the pain, it will result in righteousness and peace, so ultimate happiness for yourself. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law, for it says, curse is anyone that hangs upon the tree. That scripture resonates with me because it shows and it demonstrates such an unconventional, unorthodox, raw love that Jesus displayed for us. He didn't just forgive our sins, he took it upon his shoulders. He took the consequence, he took the weight of that sin, the reputation of that sin, so that we can walk in freedom. So one of the biggest verses that has uh, had a really big impact on my life is Proverbs 3, 5, that says, trust in the Lord your God and lean not on your own understanding. And um, it just keeps reminding me that God is bigger than my problems and that he has great plans for me and all I have to do is trust him. So my life first comes from Psalm 139. It talks about um, 
that my Lord knows me and he's searched for me and that he, he knew me in my mother's womb. He knew me before I was even born. Um, and even though there's 6.7 billion people in the world, that he knows me um, individually. He cares for me. Um, and there's nothing I can do to stop his love for me. A verse that has impacted my life this year is Matthew 7, verse 7. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. It means a lot to me because it says that God will, with God there is no closed door.